Thank you. And I'm going to ask Susie to come up and read our lesson for us. Mark chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then Luke chapter 12, 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store all my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Thank you. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. This morning we're thinking about two parables, the parable of the camel and the eye of the needle, and the parable of, or the story of the rich young ruler who came, or the rich young man who came to Jesus wanting to ask the question, uh, how do I gain eternal life? And this parable of the camel of the eye of the needle is clearly a very important one. It appears in all three of the Gospels of Mark, Luke, and Matthew. And it comes after two other important occasions where, first of all, some young children were brought to Jesus, very small children, and the disciples tried to stop them coming to him. And they were immediately put right when Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to children like this. And if you want to enter it, you will have to receive it like a child. So already we're beginning to get that answer about how one enters into God's kingdom. By contrast, uh, the rich young man knows what he wants and he comes to Jesus and is no doubt accustomed to guessing it. And he asks, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And when Jesus asks him, If he knows the commandments, he immediately thinks, I'm on a home run here. I've done all these things since I was a boy. This is going to be easy. Of course I know the commandments. And so when Jesus sees this man who's full of uh, enthusiasm and has kept God's commandments all his life, he's full of love for him. And he says, there's just one more thing. Sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And as this young man walked dejected away, Jesus observed with love towards his disciples that it is harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle. 
two different people, or a young man wanting to know what he had to do to gain eternal life, and a child, uh, an example of receiving God's kingdom like a child. Earlier in both Matthew and Luke, Jesus had taught that those who are poor or poor in spirit are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So on the one hand, we have somebody who is rich, and it's impossible, it seems, for somebody who is rich to pass through the, into heaven or into the kingdom of heaven, and yet we have the poor who are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of God, the opposite side of the same coin. In other words, there is something about money and about wealth that makes it hard and almost impossible for people to enter God's kingdom. We can't hide away from that truth in that saying that Jesus had. The disciples recognized it. When Jesus said, it's harder than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, but they said, that's impossible. How can anyone be saved? Fortunately, Jesus said, what's impossible for human beings is possible for God. Again, it's point us to this fact that actually our salvation and what we're gaining is not based on what we do or what we have, but upon what God is doing. And yet our experience of money is that it can be a great blessing. And if we have money and wealth, not only can we do, we feel blessed, we can do what we want and we have security and all those things that we look for in life, we can also be a source of blessing for others. And there are strands of Christian teaching today that encourage us to believe that if we have real faith, God will bless us with riches in abundance. And of course, the leaders will be the richest of all because of their great godliness. So I'm sorry if I'm a great disappointment to anybody here. But let's think a bit more about what it means to be part of God's kingdom. It means to be born again. It means learning to live a life by a different set of values from the world and often from those that we love the most. Values modelled on the example and life and teachings of Jesus. Jesus laid out some of those values in Matthew 5. Values of justice, mercy, purity, humility, poverty, peacemaking. Or in Paul's teaching 1 Corinthians 13, values of love, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. But supremely, to live in God's kingdom is to dethrone ourselves. Just before he met this rich young man, Jesus had said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, they need to deny themselves and take up their cross before they can follow him. Denying themselves and taking up their cross. Dethroning the self. Dethroning our desires and our cravings. Our need for self-fulfillment. Our need to be fully ourselves. Our need to satisfy our cravings for affirmation and love. Our need for comfort. And immediately after this encounter with the rich young man, Jesus reminds his disciples of what living in the kingdom will mean for him. He tells them, for the third time, that he's going up to Jerusalem where he will suffer and die at the hands of his enemies. Living in the kingdom for Jesus was about being willing to give up everything, including life itself, to do what God desired and for the benefit of those that he loved. So why is it that wealth promises so much that it's so hard to give up and which meant that that young man walked away so sad. And the second parable may shed some light for us. It's only one aspect of a complex situation. 
But Jesus tells the story of a man who is already doing comfortably. He's got lands and barns, and he's got so many crops coming in, because he's clearly a gifted farmer, that he needs more space to store them. So very sensibly, he looks, what's the best way to do this? I'll build even larger barns. And his plan is to fill them with so much grain that he won't need to work for the next few years, if ever, but can simply sit back and relax, do what he wants, and let the good times roll. It's a beautiful vision. And it could have been written for our time and for the 21st century. And as I was looking at this, I found it personally very challenging. And I don't know, if I'm honest, that I really want to think about it too deeply because I'm starting to think about uh, what happens when I might retire in about six or seven years' time. How can I make provision for that retirement such that I don't lack for money, such that I can make the most of the rest of my life? And I want that to include being able to do some traveling, to be able to enjoy some meals out, to pay my bills and buy camera gear when it breaks. <laughs> I thought that might make you laugh. And you know, I'm kind of not liking the parallels at the moment that I'm finding. Because I want to be happy. I want to live life to the full. I think that's something that we're trying to learn to do. But it's very tempting for me to put life to the full in terms of all the things that what I have will enable me to do. And so when I read about Jesus' response and the story that he told of the rich young ruler, when uh, you fool this very night, you will die, and who will benefit from all the money you've saved? That's the kind of punchline of that parable. And he's saying you can have everything in this world, but ultimately be poor, because what counts is to be rich towards God. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Luke 12, 34 and Matthew 6, 21. In God's economy, what counts is not how much we have, but where our heart is. And the question that we have to ask is, is our heart set on something that will disappoint us in the end, or on something that has lasting value? Okay, own up, who's been watching the Olympics from about 2 a.m. in the morning? Not so many then. But I've been really interested in watching the reaction to some of the athletes at the end of the competition. Some of them, uh, when they have succeeded, have been absolutely overjoyed. But when they failed, some have been quite accepting and just rejoiced in the fact that they were there and all that achieved. But others have been unconsolable. And I was really struck by one taekwondo uh, contestant, Bianca Walkton. Before the Olympics, she had set her heart on gold because the last time she had only managed a bronze. And she'd publicly stated that anything else was a failure. And when she lost in the semi-finals, literally in the last second, it was clearly devastating. As the treasure that she appeared to have focused on for the last five years, almost the exclusion of everything else, was taken away in a fraction of a second. Now, I'm not judging Bianca in any way, and I don't know what was going on in her heart and her mind or how long it may have taken her to find joy in the bronze medal that she actually won. How she responds and what happened is her story and her challenge. And we know that often it is in the darkest places that we grow the most. However, it does illustrate for us how fleeting the things that we can set our hearts on can be, how fragile they may be. 
And it reminds us how important it is to make sure that what we fix them on are things that are of lasting value. And to question the values of the world. There is a massive pressure in our society to succeed. And success is often judged by how much money and wealth we gain, how beautiful we look, and whether we can afford to have plastic surgery. We're constantly encouraged to aspire towards better and larger homes. Who doesn't love grand designs? Adverts hold up to us the promises of paradise on earth if we travel with TUI or buy a hot tub from B&Q. And, you know, they've been doing it for, for years. I can't remember a time in my life when adverts weren't promising me that if I only had this or that, I would be happy. I'm even told that freedom from anxiety and security comes when you travel through your life with a black horse in charge of your bank accounts. And that's how the world's economy works. It says the more you have, the happier you will be. The more you spend, the more you'll get. The subtext is the more you'll want and the richer others will get. But in God's economy, there is a different message. Don't worry, Jesus said, about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Instead, seek first God's kingdom, the kingdom that is the one thing that makes everything else worthwhile. If happiness equated to wealth and possessions, then we should be the happiest country in the world because we have wealth, even the poorest among us, generally have wealth that in the past kings and queens would have dreamt of. These two parables are a challenge to question those values, the values that underpin our society and that we absorb unconsciously from the world around us and assume are right. Every time we watch TV, every time we read magazines and the newspaper, we are absorbing the values of the world and we may not even recognise it. So these parables are a challenge to us to consider our priorities, to ask what is the most important thing in our lives. Jesus understood that the most important thing in that young man's life was his wealth and all that it gave him in terms of independence, security and position in society. And Jesus knew that in the end it would disappoint, that no amount of stuff can truly satisfy. And the only way that that young man would really learn what actually fulfills and what it means to be part of God's kingdom was if he was willing to break its power by giving it away and letting it go for others. And yet it is hard to give up what we have for what God wants us to have. But a gold medal will bring joy for a while, but eventually it will be put away in a drawer and life will go on. But there is another treasure that is worth more than gold, and that is to know God and to find our place in his kingdom. So as you go through this week, as you think about what it means to learn to live life to the full, when you're watching the Olympics, when you're at work, in your family, in your home groups, wherever you are, notice and think about how does my reaction in these situations, what is it teaching me about where my heart actually is, where my desires are fixed? And what is Jesus wanting to say to me through this week? about where he wants my heart to be and where life in all its fullness in God's kingdom lies for me and for you.